0: Trust is two ways, right? It's not a one-way thing. And you have to build that trust with your team that you will back them up. (laughs) I think that's the part that sometimes gets lost, that like empowerment's not like, hey, Leah, go do this and good luck. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
1: it's,
0: It's really backing up. Having a sponsorship is so important as a leader, sponsoring, it's not telling, but really this idea that trust is something that you help cultivate.
2: Welcome to the Managing Made Simple podcast, where I bring a decade of experience working in some of the most influential companies in tech to help you navigate the ins and outs of being a people manager. From conflicts to feedback to delegating and more, we will leave no stone unturned when it comes to what makes us love managing, kinda hate it, and everything in between. Doesn't matter if you're a new manager looking for some tips or a seasoned manager looking to up their game, everyone is welcome to hang out with Managing Made Simple. Let's go. Welcome back to the show. Today I have with me Albert Shum, a former corporate vice president or CVP of design at Microsoft and now out on his own exploring what's next for him. Albert was a consumer product designer at Nike for over 11 years, then spent 15 years leading design and humanizing technology at Microsoft and has recently begun a new chapter focusing on responsible design and design education. Now, Albert and I met about seven, eight years ago when I was at Microsoft on on one of his teams and he was different than any other senior executive I had ever met. First, he sat with his team, okay, in the same space, side by side with his team members, you know, demonstrating that he rolls up his sleeves and gets into the work so that, you know, he can really be supportive and and accessible to his team. But more than that, he uses questions in his approach to communication, demonstrating curiosity and interest in your thinking and how you approach a problem and what you have to say. So I'm so grateful that we've kept in touch all of these years and so excited to have you on the show today.
0: Great, thank Thank you, Leah. I'm excited to participate and it's been really exciting in terms of my journey and yeah, lots to chat about. Yeah,
2: well, you know, I think now that you're in this new phase, I'd love to know what's something that you learned later in your career or you're even learning now about your leadership journey that maybe you wish you had learned earlier on.
0: Yeah, I like to think as you kind of progress in your career, your experience, right? You just kind of build on it. And it's kind of funny, like now that I've retired, I get a lot of questions about like, oh, how did you do this? Or how did you get into that role? How did you get in position? And a lot of it, it's, you know, you can't replicate, but I do think there are certain themes, at least I try to not just focus on, but really, I think, I think it's, it's really my process. And, And one is this, this idea of curiosity. I think that's how I got into design. I was just curious. Like when I was going to school, design wasn't really a thing like UX, Kind of wasn't like oh what's user experience right or right? like like a lot of kind of designing digital interface was just emerging so there wasn't really a, even a formal education in that but this curiosity to think about hey how do you interact with things like a phone or a computer even like I think we kind of take it for granted that's kind of how technology is part of our lives now but back then you got to remember like a, like a, a Walkman was technology <laughs> so that's the shift in my career and then just a the curiosity to think about what's next and really a curiosity around the customer being used center. I think that really kind of drove my career.
2: Yeah. And how did that help shape your leadership style and the way that you managed people?
0: Yeah. I'm glad you remember. I kind of tend to ask questions rather than (laughs) give answers. I think a lot of it is, I think this word gets used a lot, but I think being yourself, is so important and just and i know there's a lot of conversations around like creating a place where you belong but i think a lot of us kind of you know the idea of covering like hey or even imposter syndrome i gotta act a certain way and that's to me it's like it's one of the hardest part of working on a large corporation where you're kind of trying to fit in and i think asking questions for me was this kind of removing that sense of fear of like hey i don't know to like trying to actually learn and back to that curiosity i think having a learning mindset having that growth mindset i think that's Help me progress so to me questions wasn't just like hey what are you doing it's more about like i just want to learn and and i think it ties that curiosity i spoke to and if you ask the right question in the right way again being curious to try to understand but also i think this is the part that you have to build on around you can't just keep on asking questions right because you'll drive the team nuts you also have to kind of ask questions in a way to get different perspective the team yeah so that it's not about just constantly going to people like hey what's this project doing here why is that yeah to like what do you think how we might do something differently so asking questions in a certain way to kind of solicit your team to bring the best of the team together. I think that's slightly different than just asking yeah. questions.
2: Oh, no, absolutely. And I think that's what stood out so much for me was in doing that, you helped. First, you demonstrated that you trusted people. And this is something I talk so much about in the manager development work that I do is you know showing someone that you trust them and are invested in them. Now you're going to see such better work and such higher engagement and motivation. And when you, by asking questions, you're saying, hey, I actually want to hear how you would solve this problem and what you think here. And I know for me at that point in my career, it was really, important to me I was doing design operations instead of you know the core design work that my perspective was valued and, and needed even though it was a different type of work because it still mattered and I think making space for the different perspectives by asking different people how they'd solve a problem how they'd work through a challenge what you know what, what they would do in the situation that lets them step more up and into being a leader it, it helps them take ownership of their work and their role and it really changes the game
0: totally yeah. you kind of hit it on the nail there around trust like As all leaders, and as you're kind of developing your career, like it's easier to say, I'm going to empower you. (laughs) But I think this sense of trust, trust is two ways, right? It's not a one-way thing. And you have to build that trust with your team that you will back them up. (laughs) I think that's yeah. the part that sometimes gets lost, that like empowerment's not like, hey, Leah, go do this and good luck. Yeah, <laughs> like,
1: exactly.
0: It's, it's really backing up. Having a sponsorship is so important as a leader, sponsoring. It's not telling, but really this idea that trust is something that you help cultivate yeah. with the team. And again, it's a two-way part. Yeah. And I do also want to... Mentioned you were one of the first UX would say ops in some ways. I think you'd helped establish that discipline even at Microsoft because because I think so often we get to focus on the what yeah like let's go make things right constant because we're all busy on the team. But I think a really good key part of the UX ops role is actually trying to frame up why are we doing this yeah and then how we're doing this not just. Because it's always like, hey, we've got more requests than we can ever deliver. Yeah. But helping the team understand what's important, why are we doing this, and then finding out the steps. In some ways, I think that's really the way to implement design thinking. I think sometimes we get lost in the process versus the operation to operationalize. Yeah. Make things happen. I think that's so important.
2: Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I mean, I think that was this celebration of talking about the how that, you know, creating space for that when we were working together, that really influenced me bringing this into conversations. and, And really what I do today is helping teams, companies, startups, whoever understand the importance of the how to realize the what so that they can achieve the vision so that they can, you know, hit on all the goals and priorities. Because as you say, without focusing on the how, there's a lot of confusion, you know, there's duplication of efforts, decisions aren't clear, there's not always accountability. So yes, thank you for (laughs) championing the how. I'm curious, you know, in your time at Microsoft, especially it was a time of massive reinvention and transformation. And I know that was probably both exciting for design and for managers, but also probably a little bit intimidating and what were some of the challenges and opportunities you saw during all of this change in the company?
0: Yeah, and I do want to recognize that like my career, I I stood on the shoulders of giants as all of us. I I think when we enter kind of any new team and in that moment there were amazing people already in design like Steve Canico and, and Don Corner who kind of brought me to Microsoft. And I started at Microsoft literally as an IC. I didn't have a team. I'd never worked in a tech company before. And the thing that I did know working at Nike was really grounded on consumers, customers. I think that's so core. I think when I went to school, I think just understand that user-centered design process, it's universal, right? It's not something that like, oh, it's kind of like the flavor of the day. I think it's like making sure the customers are center of everything we do, that grounds us. And I kind of use that as a framework for me to help navigate whatever, like. Technology is evolving because, you know, as you see literally right now, like there's always going to be a new, new thing. There's going to be a new tech. But what grounds us is always the human, the user human centered design. And I think that's the framework that I try to bring to the table. It's not design a table. It's us helping to bring the human to the table. It's so important. So that was my framework to kind of anchor what my role was. I use design as a means to create that human centeredness for the company, for the work that we do, for the products that we make. Uh, And and I feel like that at least helped anchor me through my journey in in a large tech company.
1: And
0: and there's so much to kind of unpack there, but I make it sound so simple, (laughs) (laughs) but happy to talk more about all the different aspects. And I do think big tech at that time, I think design was really just evolving from the side of like, hey, we have this product, we have this technology, How do we, not we need to go ship it, we need design to go work on it. Yeah. And I think it's really shifted because of this idea of how do we keep the customer being user-centered and that design is at the front end now of creation. And I think that's so important.
1: Yeah,
2: absolutely. And and I think to add to that, one thing that you did a lot of that I think really effective leaders in this space do is created a real equal partnership between engineering and product and design and marketing and sort of all of these stakeholders in in cross-functional roles Because if it's, I think sometimes in these situations, it can be an us versus them, you know, one design wants one thing and product wants another and engineering, and it can be really hard to know how to operate. But I think both in bringing the the human centered piece, and then being a real relationship builder and helping, you know, others understand the importance of forging those relationships, that also helped really drive you know ensuring design was in that conversation
0: yeah and looking back i think it seems a bit obvious like oh of course we should be multidisciplinary and collaborative at the same time i think when i kind of reflect on my journey design wasn't necessarily in the forefront of like design was really around the aesthetics and hey how do we make things look good so that we can be uh, appealing to the customer, which I, I think it's it's still important. Like I, th- I think how we, what, what is the emotional connection? But I think trying to understand what the customer needs are, translating that into solutions. I think working with all of this different disciplines and to bring together it, and yeah. being back to human-centered design, being really customer-focused, really obsessing over the customer needs. I think that's what I always kind of train it as like, hey, let's go create the table so that everyone can come together, rather yeah. than like, hey, we need designed to be at the table. Like I think creating a table, is so important for people, all the different disciplines come together to, to actually see that. Oh yeah, we have to think about the customer. We have to think about the technology. We have to think about the business. And all those stakeholders' needs, our contributions are really important to create a successful product or service. So so I think think that's really evolved in the last 10 years in in terms of how we create.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you're aligning people around this shared goal, right? This table you're talking about, that's the shared goal. That's what we want to create for our customers. And so everyone's already bought into that. It's maybe there's some differences on how to approach it and and what's in scope and out of scope for different increments, but but you have that alignment at its core.
0: Yeah, the alignment and also there there's a natural tension. And I'll be I'll be frank, like business goals and customer needs sometimes align, sometimes they don't align. Yeah. Right? And it's important to kind of have discussions around that table. But it's also I think the thing I really learned from Joe B and other great leaders at Microsoft, is being very principled, mm. like writing down our principles. Like, it's not in my opinion, yeah. because they, it's great, you have a great opinion. But being principled about how we approach our design work, and then talk about those principles, debate around principles, and and being this principle-based leadership is also important at scale, so that it's it doesn't change based on, like, hey, today I feel like we should do this, or do that. I think that's important to kind of remind ourselves that principles are important in how we create.
2: Absolutely. And I feel like that's especially important now where we have to weigh trade-offs and you know maybe we have to cut down on priorities or priorities are shifting or you have fewer resources that when you can go back to those principles, now you know how you're making the decisions. And everyone's clear that, yeah, even if they don't agree, even if they wish it was something else, this is the criteria we're using to inform decisions around what to be working on.
0: Yeah. And some of those principles, I, I make principles sounds very abstract, but <laughs> you take a, like a principle that we had in design, like, hey, we want to live in motion was just a simple principle. Like, we really want to invest in motion. Like, and you got to think back, like 10, 15 years, yeah. motion wasn't even, what you, you talked about, everything was kind of <laughs> static, right? Like you you click on something and something might pop up randomly, (laughs) like, you know, there is no transition and to invest. And to me, it seems so important that it's not just this. It's like in a movie, right? It's like it's not about the shot always. It's about the transition between the shots and, and how do you craft that and invest in motion in a way that feels fluid, keeps you in the flow, keeps you in the context. And we kind of expect that today, yeah. right? In, in our, all our experiences. And so this idea of like, hey, we want to be alive in motion or design and work with engineering and say, hey, we, let's agree that these are our design principles and that when we work on the product, it is really important to say like, hey, this is why we have motion and we don't cut that, it right. is part of our, right. and we all agree this is important, this is our principle. And let's invest in the engineering systems that allows us to achieve that so that we can implement the design rather than sitting around a table and saying like, well, I I want this now and then engineering's like, what? Like, why is that important? And by then it's too late. And I, I think that's back to being upfront and having those principles to guide your work so that when you do make those hard trade-offs, when you're crunching time and resources, you keep reflecting on those principles to guide you on what is the right thing to do.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think managers right now who are feeling like they don't exactly know what to say to their teams? There's so much uncertainty. There's so much change. I think this is a great moment to stop and think, well, what are the principles that we have on our team that are, you know shape how we work, how we determine trade-offs, how we know what's a higher priority if something else comes up because, This is going to give you a language to be able to communicate with your team and something that's going to help make communicating changes a lot easier. I think it's really hard to communicate change when it feels like out of left field, then it's harder to get people on board. Maybe people decide this team is not for them and all these sort of long tail effects can happen when you don't have that clarity on the principal level. Maybe it's, you know, it takes shape as team values or the team mission or the core principles we operate against that. This is a moment, even, you know, while it may feel weird because there's so much change, but to go take stock of what do we know right now? Why are we working on this kind of things? What is sort of a situation that would shift our direction and, and what's something that we would do in that case?
0: Yeah, 100. that I, 100%, I, I think that's so important. And I think as leaders, as I think this idea, this change is constant, and I feel kind of this is probably like the third era of computing. You know, however you want it, web one, web two. Like, no, there's all these <laughs> different frameworks, but I think I think technology. and I mean, when I reflect on the difference between working at. Nike and working at Microsoft and technology, the pace of change is so rapid. Yeah. And, and you just reflect on like a year ago, an NFT was, was worth millions and, and it's like, wow, like like these amazing artists are generating these, these amazing work and, and here's the value to now, like anyone can create amazing work and, and generate art in a way that it's unprecedented. Yeah. So, that, so the value just changed so rapidly in our society and in the technology that, that we created. And we're just still catching up in what the user experience is uh, and, the, and the product work and that all these kind of changes have this kind of whiplash effect on the team. Because what happens then is like, like hey, our priorities will change, our business will change. We're focusing on this now to like, oh no, we need to, because the world is changing. yeah, And we need to help the team change to, to this new direction. And that can have this whiplash effect. It's like, hey, I thought we we're all committed to this direction and now we're, we're changing. And then helping the team adapt, have that resiliency to, I don't wanna say the word embrace change, but at least we acknowledge the yeah. change, that it's not random. And I think that's the hardest part uh, for, for a lot of leaders because if you can't explain that, or if you can't walk through with the team on the why, behind the changes and maintaining the values and the mission, but also being principle-based on the why we're changing. I think that's obviously it's, you kind of see it on all the feedback we're getting. Like it's a horrible experience for, for team members when they don't understand what's happening.
2: Yeah. And if you're in a situation where you have to communicate a big change and you're thinking about how you would approach it, hypothetically, or if (laughs) many times when you had to do that in your career, like, what are some of the things tactically that you you like to think about is included in that message?
0: Yeah. Well, this is strange. When I joined Microsoft in 2007, 2008 was this kind of like upheaval and and I was on a team and I just was on Microsoft and there was big changes, we orgs and the vision I was working in didn't exist anymore. and, And... and I just said fortunate of like, amazing leaders and managers that have that ability to kind of work with the team to understand their changes. Mm. I think the first, and, and I haven't written about this, but it's, you know, it's not like, oh, four steps to managing change. But I, I think there there are frameworks to help you understand or work with the team. And, and you've probably seen the same framework. You're like, you know, that trough of like the disillusionment. Oh, to, yeah. <laughs> you know generating belief and almost like re-recruiting the
1: team yeah
0: so every time and I've had to do this with multiple teams where sometimes changes mean like oh we're going to reorg this team is going to join this team and yeah and I remember probably my first experience was working on mobile where hey I had this opportunity like hey why don't you take on the leadership to kind of reboot our mobile design because iPhone came out we need something more competitive kind of rebuilding the team here's an opportunity so I, I, I literally had to walk into a room that like hey i'm the new leader now and kind of help the team understand why i was here and what my what my goals were and again build that trust and i think the first thing i always do is always take that time to Instead of telling the team, like, oh, here's what we're doing, here's why, like, really set the context that we're on a journey and I'm here to help you. Yeah. And more of that servant leadership that, hey, we have this, really show the the team that we have this opportunity and you have to really highlight what that opportunity is. You can't just say like, oh, I'm here because I got assigned to this job. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like okay great but really talk about the opportunity we have and again that's something that you want to be aspirational but not too far out right yeah like and kind of energize the team that we have this amazing opportunity and then the next phase is listen
1: mm-hmm.
0: like i remember this I, I set up one-on-ones with literally everyone on the team because they were they were already, were working on mobile products already so yeah. i'm actually the, the newest person to the team so really trying to listen and understand both the hopes, but also the fears because changes creates a lot of anxiety. Hey, What's going to happen to my job? Will I I, I have a different role? What's my scope? Like, so really trying to listen what the concerns are. Because you can't just say like, hey, we're going to go here. Because the team is expecting like, oh, who's going to be the next manager? Or what's my role? What's my assignment? So that anxiety, you need to kind of make sure that you're listening and not just creating this more ambiguity. And as you know, more ambiguity creates more anxiety. Right. So that phase is like soliciting response, making it more participatory. Yeah. So that you're listening to feedback before you make changes or make plans, right? Uh, again, taking more almost like a user-centered design approach. Yeah. To understand, to create empathy, to understand what the aspirations of the existing team, listen, and then you play back what you've heard. So it's not coming from like, this is what I want, this is what yeah. we want. So that's the third phase now is to play back, to reflect on what the team aspires to and what we aspire to and play that out and say like, wow, we have this opportunity and the team is looking to create a culture that's inclusive of everyone and, and that we can all create that it, because it comes from the team. It's not from you now. Yeah. So now you're really just almost like, like a facilitator for change. Yeah. With the team rather than you are the change.
1: <laughs>
2: right. Yeah. And it's uh, such a different, you know, it's like you say, it's, it's something that we all should be doing kind of know, but we don't do. I think when you come in, you're sort of expected as a new leader to have this vision and I'm going to do this 30, 60, 90 day plan and change. And- right. You have the answer. Yeah. it's
0: right? like, the answer. Like this is what we're going to do. Yeah. Right? It's, it's very tempting. Yeah. And it's also, I think that's what we're conditioned to do. Yeah. To jump in and start driving action. Right. Yeah. Again, like back to you just saying, making that space to build trust yeah because when you solicit the team's feedback then they have more buy-in that it's you're really trying to get their ideas and back to that empowerment it's building trust
1: yeah exactly and
0: that's the conversation that you want to have with the team not necessarily like hey do you like my ideas right so
2: right and i mean as the person that managed the timelines i will say (laughs) this makes things go faster i think a lot of times leaders are afraid that taking the approach you just outlined slows things down but what actually slows things down is people being totally not bought in on the change oh, and yeah. privately disagreeing or sort of working right. against it or leaving the team. That slows things down.
0: Yeah, it's that like 2080 that we always talk yeah.
1: about, right? Yeah. But
0: I, th- I think having that space is also, I think you bring up a really good point. Now that you reflect with the team like this is where we're going, it's okay. And I tell this to the team, you can opt out. Yeah. And it's actually good. Like if you don't believe in this is where we're going, hey, I'll work with you. Like I'll help you find a different position or opportunity. Do not be the person that like just leans back and wait for something to happen and then don't buy in. That's why you want to do one-on-ones and listen and and see who making sure that, hey, everyone had a chance to, to contribute to where we're going. And the reason I use one-on-one is it's, it doesn't put people on the spot,
1: right? Yeah, yeah.
0: And you as a leader are taking the action and, and creating the energy yeah. rather than trying to push people. So, and I think that, that having that reflection and now that back to the last part of being back to that re-recruitment, understanding like, hey, this is where we're going. And now you're recruiting your team. People are on board. They all believe this is our mission now. This is where we're going. And if you want to opt out, that's okay too. And then move forward so that next phase right once you recruit is now your genuine belief yeah. and that is the hardest part <laughs> because if you don't do that like no matter what you do say what you like no one's gonna believe you because no. you don't have the foundation of
1: trust yeah and, and empowerment
2: yeah absolutely and i want to echo the point of meeting with people one-on-one i mean again it's something that may take a little time up front but it saves so much time because now people have a relationship with you. You've humanized yourself as a leader. You say, hey, I care about what you have to say. I want to hear it. And then you can integrate specific feedback that people had back into the plan, back into the conversation. You you know, you can address people, you know, people's names. Like it just has so much power for getting that buy in that belief because you've shown you're investing time in, in hearing from people.
0: Yeah. And and to scale that, I know some of the people in the audience are like, oh, wow, that's going to take so <laughs> much time. I think additionally, like you do write the planning doc or write your vis- your memo. Like you know, yeah. I call my design agenda and write that, and, and get people to contribute. Make it open source. Make it like, hey, be in the open, so that like you're having this conversation, but you're also writing it down. Back to you, I think you know think yeah. the amazing part about the Excel process. I remember like, hey, did anyone write this down? I remember having <laughs> meetings. Like, did we like did we make any decisions? Yeah. Like, how about we just write it down first?
1: Yeah. Like I, I
0: think that's also important. Having an artifact, so we literally actually making a little booklet. Where you're coming together so that like hey this is what we created together like yeah. that's the first thing we create yeah this a, a share agenda and codified that right and that's how you generally believe because we wrote down, we talked about yeah you had a chance to contribute we wrote down we published it and it's real
1: yeah it's not
0: what i think it's what we think yeah. together all right <laughs>
2: And that's such a great tool to get people caught up as new people join, as you're onboarding, as there's questions, you you have sort of a single source of truth to point people to so that, and they understand that, you know, what is the vibe on the team is that it's collaborative, it's iterative, and, and this is how we operate.
0: Yeah, and I think that's why I always enjoy making these booklets. Was this? It's it's tangible. You could feel it, right? There. Yeah. And, and it's an energy, and and also it's creativity. I think it's a way to express ourselves, right? Yeah. And as design, as as UX, as, as designers, researchers, product makers, UX ops, I think that was the first thing you build together.
1: Yeah.
0: It was not to say the product. We we again we'll jump into making yeah. products, but actually coming together and making our shared purpose our Design agenda or a studio playbook, right? Like making something that reflects us. I feel like that's so important.
1: Yeah,
2: absolutely. Well, now that you're managing change, right? I know,
0: managing change. Yeah. Like some teams don't make it through that chart. No,
2: exactly. And I looked it up. It's the Kubler Ross change curve. So I'll put that in the show right, notes right. as well. Yeah, exactly. yeah.
0: There is a name for it.
2: That's right. So now that you're on the outside, you know, I would say semi-retired, not fully, okay, because <laughs> you're in a lot of doing a lot of stuff right now. What are a couple of things that you're excited to share with our audience that you're working on now?
0: Yeah, I should write about this. So I do have a process. So it's not this like hey, I'm going to retire and I'm just going to ride my bike all day,
1: which
0: I'm going on a bike trip that's why i have a bike case here (laughs) in two weeks but i think it's important to kind of take time off and kind of re-energize so i think i think it's i feel it's a privilege and a luxury that i have so i'm very grateful but my process is kind of three phase like this idea of reflection in that first phase is so important having time to reflect yeah and just like that's why i love these conversations looking back to look forward right yeah that's what grounds us that's what fuels us like creativity is not this like hey i just wake up and it's making those connections that you you haven't been able to before so just reflecting on my experience and why did i do that yeah <laughs> or how did i do that i think that's really important so I, that's what i've been doing in this first phase is just reflecting and then the next part is kind of reconnecting i think relationships are so important i think the pandemic really reminded me what i really miss, which is remember like literally the reason i like sitting in the studio next to everyone else is i just love that energy of yeah just lean over hey leah what do you think like, yeah Like, that to me was an amazing part of being in design school, making products. And and I've talked about, like, being in a studio, it's not about the open space. It's about the people. Yeah. And that you just have this energy, a creative energy. And I'm also guilty of being the biggest distraction. (laughs) (laughs) So, so, but I think that's the the creative part, right? The creation part. And reconnecting for me is just be able to talk to people I haven't had a chance to, to before. And I think being on the outside... I could talk to people from pretty much anywhere now. It's I don't have this Microsoft hat on yeah. top of me. Yeah. Like, hey, why are you talking to me? Are you trying to recruit me? No. Like like I just wanna reconnect. Yeah. And so reconnection, making that, that human connection with, with, with people that, that all these amazing people i know like yourself i, I think that's so important and the third part is rethinking and that's where my involvement around design education i think we've like when i back to when i started in design there wasn't really such a thing as ux and i think the only course i had was with bill mogridge and terry winograd and and stanford had this kind of emerging kind of interaction design program or not a program just a class of course one course right to so much as change and there's a new era of where design even when i just started we were still in this kind of uh, i guess like a lot of people talk about waterfall and agile as mm-hmm. more of the engineering process but really to me was this idea that it was this kind of classical design where is are deterministic mm-hmm. we would come up like hey observe the needs like oh it's, you know user-centered design design thinking whatever you call it and we would come up with a solution and then we would like look at different options and then we would choose the best one. And then let's go build that. Right. Yeah. It was almost like classical it's like to me it's like this idea of deterministics like, Hey, that is the solution, that's gonna work for everyone. Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll ship it, right? Yeah. And versus now, like shipping something, that's just the start.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, the idea of like, hey, we're going to experiment. We're going to learn what our customer needs are as they interact with our products. And, and don't scale everything at once. It's not yeah. like one size fits a billion, right? Yeah. It's like, hey, how do, we, how do we look at different cohorts of customers, address their needs, and iterate and adapt? And to me, that process has changed really in the last five ten years yeah and that's so different than how we're approaching even like i said 10 15 years ago to now as the tools have have become more expansive and and it's it's amazing we actually have ux tools like like figma versus trying to do things in photoshop (laughs) but to me we're still drawing versus like the ideal states like making things like parametric programmatic Mm. we've always had this idea of like why does why do you have the same ux for everyone can it adapt back to personalization remember like Like, yeah. and, and we've always like personalization is like creating settings. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Which
0: means that's not personalization, it's adapting to your needs at work or at home. Like the context is always changing or in my car.
1: yeah. I think we've
0: always had this dream of like the interface kind of adapts to you. Mm. And that's really the idea of personalization. And I do think the next era with especially uh, back to the genuine design and, and a lot of this, these new tools, technology, how do we create more adaptive user experiences? I think that's that's back to rethinking what is
1: our design process. Yeah. That's why I'm
0: interested in education. That's why we're working with schools. I'm coaching a class at Institute of Design in Chicago with Anijo Matthews, and and it's great. I just love working with students because they don't have, I would say, hangups like myself. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like They're just looking at everything from kind of like fresh perspective. Yeah. And and it's been great uh, learning from them as much as I'm trying trying to share my knowledge,
2: right? Yeah. And you also have a newsletter and I'll link to that in the show notes as well, right?
0: Yeah, okay. the newsletter is more of a I don't want to call it a vanity project, <laughs> but more I think it's so important to have an outlet of yeah. ideas and exchange. You can't just like sit in your room and think. Right. It's the, uh, to me back to the creative process. It's it's having all that where you can learn and interact by talking to different people and getting different perspectives. So the newsletter for me was was to kind of continue that conversation. It's not me saying like this is the way. Yeah. It's more about hey, here's some thoughts I have. I don't have the answer, <laughs> but love to it's more about back to the asking questions, yeah. right? Yeah. That that inquiry. Yeah. Uh, that curiosity. There is change happening in our world yeah and how do we address them so
2: yeah awesome well this has been such a fun conversation i love to ask is there anything else you want to leave our audience with before we wrap
0: yeah i think your change there is this it's just like in the news like it's you know all the craziness with silicon valley bank and the conversation around layoffs and big tech i think sometimes it's it's, i think this is a really easy thing to say but it's really hard to practice like for me i try to not get caught up in the day-to-day Because it's so easy, like, we're kind of programmed to, like, hey, kind of look at, you know, it's got, I always compare, like, like, when I was a kid playing soccer or any sports, you kind of chase the ball versus, like, centering yourself, like. Being center, I think, in this in this moment, it's so hard. Yeah. So I, I know you've had a lot of great thoughts on that, and and I think uh, managing through change, but keeping true to who you are, being center, I think, taking care of yourself, I think I think that's so important, and and I think that's what drives creativity. That's been my fuel, and that's that's why I go on bike rides. <laughs> yeah. Not have to think about all those externalities, but like really trying to keep that space for yourself. And I, I think that's that's really important and making time for that yeah. and not get caught up in all the things around us.
2: Yeah. So. I heard recently, I think it was... Um, Sue Bird from the WNBA talking about, you know, in professional sports, there's recovery and rest. It's like in the corporate yeah. world, we don't have it in the same way. Yeah, world, we're always on. It, it's on. Yeah. So
0: just an on switch. I Exactly. Yeah. So, I, an
2: exactly. <laughs> so. Yeah. so I, I love that. It's a wonderful parting thought to leave with. And thank you so much. It was so wonderful to see you and talk with you today. So much good stuff in here. And I will link to that change curve. But I think you spelled it out so much better. <laughs> so I really no. appreciate you talking through that.
0: Yeah. And again, thank you. I love these conversations. Conversation and I, again, this opportunity to be able to reflect, reconnect, and rethink. I feel, again, very fortunate and such a big privilege. So I, I want to thank you for taking your time.
2: Yeah. Thank you so much. So many awesome takeaways. But if I had to pick just one, it would be the power of asking thoughtful questions, of showing people that they're seen and they matter, and asking for their inputs and just as important as answering questions. To do that, I'm gonna be launching Q&A sessions over Zoom where you can ask all of your questions that are top of mind so you can best support your team. These events will be exclusive to my text community. So to get on the list, text manager to 415-234-5716. Again, that's the word manager to 415-234-5716. That's all I have for today. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Managing Made Simple podcast, where my goal is to demystify the job of people management so that together we can make the workplace somewhere everyone can thrive. I always love to hear from you. So please reach out at leagarvin.com or message me on LinkedIn. See you next time.